Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the weekly science and development show from SciDevNet. I'm Halima Athmani. According to the World Bank, COVID-19 is estimated to have pushed 40 million people across Africa into extreme poverty. Sudan recorded one of the highest fatality rates worldwide. Partly due to its democratic transition and political instability, the government failed to put up measures to curb the spread of the virus. Amidst the outbreaks, pioneers were seeking to bring hope and medical care to those members of the public who needed it most. Project ECHO was one such project. It adopted a mentorship model and connected medical students in Sudan with experts using technology. Medical students reached rural and undeserved communities and provided access to life-saving practices during the pandemic when health facilities were no longer able to offer their services. Our reporter, Michael Kaloki, spoke with Dr. Nada Fadul, a Sudanese-American infectious disease physician at the University of Nebraska, responsible for helping to launch and run the ECHO program in Sudan back in March 2020. At the time, Sudan was facing a very hard time, just emerging from a 30-year dictatorship and facing the pandemic with limited or no public health infrastructure at all. So a group of us in the diaspora got together to form what we called the Coalition of Sudanese Organizations Against COVID-19. The Minister of Health, with very little finance and support, were able to get to the community level and spread information However, there were many communities that were not able to be reached. So myself and a friend of mine, Dr. Reem Ahmed at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, got together and thought about how if we leverage medical students and graduates who are now sitting at home because medical schools are closed, wanting to do something to assist their country, how about if we train them on how to face this pandemic, how to do community engagement, identify cases in the community, direct mild and moderate cases, and how to take care of themselves. So our first ECHO was launched in May 2021. And this was the first ECHO in Sudan ever because Sudan has been isolated from the international community for a very long time due to the sanctions and the isolation that the previous regime impacted on Sudan. Could you tell me a bit about Project ECHO? What sort of technology is it? Yeah, so Project ECHO is an approach, basically. So the idea here is that, generally speaking, in most countries, patients have to seek tertiary care from subject matter experts by traveling long distances to get where the care is provided. But if instead of that, if we train primary care doctors or doctors who are in these local remote areas on how to take care of these complex patients, this will save lives because it will expedite the care for these patients, but it also has a big financial impact. So the project was first implemented in University of New Mexico by Dr. Sanjeev Arora. He's a gastroenterologist who treated hepatitis C, and hepatitis C, as we all know now, is curable. But these patients were unable to access care from him because they had to wait months to be able to get to his clinic. So instead of waiting to get his clinic, he had the idea of training primary care providers in these remote areas on how to take care of hepatitis C. 
So this really helped with reducing mortality in the state of New Mexico, getting patients with hepatitis C the treatment they need in a very expedited manner. And from there, the idea just spread all over the country and spread to other diseases management. And now the program is actually uh, having really good uptake in Africa and other continents. So basically, it is a way of educating people through uh, teleconferencing or reaching, reaching people through teleconferencing. Yeah, and it's a little different than just traditional education because with traditional education, you bring a subject matter expert and you sit the audience and the subject matter expert delivers the knowledge. Now, the difference between Project ECHO and just traditional education is that it's a two-way learning. So the audience, in this call, case called spokes, learn from the subject matter expert, but also the subject matter experts learns from the audience about their local issues and challenges. And it's done in a case-based format. So the spokes present a case, a challenging case to the subject matter expert. And the subject matter expert, along with others in the audience, discuss this case and come up with the best approach, evidence-based approach on how to manage it. And in this discussion, this two-way discussion, there is bidirectional learning that is achieved from that. So it serves the purpose of almost like telehealth but it's to a much wider audience. So instead of the subject matter expert treating one patient remotely via telehealth, he's treating several patients because this knowledge is now disseminated to all the audiences. If any of the audience members encounter such a case, they will be able to manage it uh, in the future. So how did it fare? Sarah Muhammad was one such trainee doctor who seized other chance to work with the ECHO program. You know, what is the difference between this sort of training and having face-to-face lessons with your lecturers? Okay, so in a third world country, and especially in Sudan, we face a lot of issues in organizing a face-to-face lectures, uh, including the, the transportation, the traffic jam, the expenses of moving from one place to another. For students, it's, it's a bit hard to actually attend a face-to-face or in-person sessions or trainings. So the telementoring is actually a very successful and an excellent model that can be used in Sudan to actually decrease the expenses and resources and the time that's used and invested in the in-person sessions. And it allows us to easy, easily connect between all the mentors and mentees in a flexible way because due to all these conditions and to the limited daytime, we might find it difficult to actually organize in-person sessions and having available mentors to maintain and facilitate all these sessions. So, Sarah, do you think this initiative can be used to manage other diseases? Yes, definitely. I believe that through this initiative and using this telementoring model can be used even at a ministry's level due to the distances and the limited resources that uh, the countries have. Uh, we can actually have these kind of meetings, sessions, and uh, exchanging all the learned lessons, the information that needed to implement the work and work on field, and then reflecting back the feedback from the community and actually studying the community's feedback and interaction with the health messages. This model can easily apply on all different levels of students, doctors, nurses, even at a governmental and management levels. Do you think remote training is the future of medical training on the continent? 
yes, I believe in that because uh, due to the the uh, drainage of medical cadre or the different levels of experiences throughout the continent or the country, you might have a different health experience and a different uh, health reflection from an area or a state that another state doesn't have due to the resources or maybe the difference in the community. So exchanging all the information and all the uh, tools and techniques that use in different communities, including the studies, uh, the surveys, the community absorption to the health messages and the change that can achieve in terms of health behaviors and disease controlling will be the future. Back to Dr. Nada. Why did you target your project specifically at medical student as opposed to those who were already practicing? Yeah, so th- this is a very good question. So, you know, generally people in practice are extremely busy. And as we all know now, Africa is experiencing a massive brain drain, which causes very scarce resources of healthcare professionals in the country. Now, medical students in the last couple of years of their medical education are are usually pretty competent. You know, they have been to the clinical wards, they have seen patients, they know the basics of medicine, and, and they're very motivated, especially during the time when the medical school is off, to be able to give back to their community. The other thing is that, uh, at least in Sudan, once you enter medical school, people treat you as if you're a doctor. They trust you, they trust your word, and and they look at you as a figure of uh, advice in the community. So we wanted to leverage that. You know, there is many medical students compared to doctors. Now, I have to say, we started the idea with medical students, but we had really good uptake from other health professional students. You know, we had pharmacy students, dental nursing, uh, allied health, all wanting to participate in the program. So eventually we opened the doors up and we included all health professional students who wanted to participate as well as graduates. What challenges has Sudan faced in regards to dealing with COVID-19 and how did this initiative assist in dealing with the challenges? Yeah, so as I mentioned, Sudan had just emerged out of a 30-year dictatorship Uh, after a massive revolution that happened in 2019. The revolution actually started in December 2018 and concluded in 2019 by the removal of Omar al-Bashir, who was the president of Sudan for 30 years. And the transitional government started in about August after an agreement between civilians and military. Unfortunately, that didn't go very well, and a coup occurred in October 2021 that ousted the transitional government, so the military is now back in power. So with all of this back and forth, uh, you can imagine the amount of corruption, the amount of drainage of resources from the public sector that happened during that period. So Sudan really didn't have any infrastructure for public health. All of those resources that existed in the past, when I was a child, Each neighborhood had a health center where we used to go and get immunizations, get routine health screening. You know, there is prenatal care at these health centers. And they were very well staffed and equipped. And the health center didn't only operate as a resource for people to get care, but also as a community education center. So many times during outbreaks of cholera and malaria, the health center staff will go around the community and educate people on how to avoid, you know, getting sick and how to take care of uh, stagnant water, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and all of those resources were drained out because the health sector was massively underfunded. All of the funding was directed towards the security se- se- sector and ensuring that the 
dictator remains in power. Coming out of that, then hit by a pandemic, was a very massive blow to the healthcare system. Uh, again, there were so many resources invested from international organizations, you know, WHO, etc., into handling the pandemic in the country. Uh, but without the infrastructure, it was very difficult to direct these those resources. Uh, the Ministry of Health did a wonderful job by kind of basically reorganizing its staff and its resources, uh, collaborating with local Ministry of Health, etc. But there were so many gaps remaining in the community, in engaging the community, because the community also had a lot of issues of trust after a period of uh, you know, corruption and civil wars that erupted in specific, especially Western Sudan. So there was a need to have some trusted figures in the community, trusted people who can work directly with the community on improving that trust. This became a big need, especially with COVID vaccination, because you can imagine all the rumors and the myth that were circulating in social media, how big of an impact those had on people. Uh, and that led to many refusing to, or hesitating to be vaccinated. So with these healthcare professionals and students being in the community, being in close proximity to people, being trusted, going around and talking to people, whether it's in sports club, whether it's in worship places, whether it's in health centers, about the importance of getting vaccination and the safety of vaccination, that really helped increase uptake. And what, what we did as well is that we organized what we call pop-up vaccine clinics, neighborhood vaccine clinics, and we targeted neighborhoods that are remote and not easily reachable by the government or other organizations. So we collaborated very closely, especially with state Ministry of Health in identifying these areas that had low uptake of vaccination. And, and through that, within six months, the students were able to deliver 20,000 doses of COVID vaccination to mostly remote and underserved uh, areas in the country. And, and mostly these people would have not been vaccinated uh, if it wasn't for this effort. That's all from us today. If you want to find out more, head to the SIDEPnet website. That's www.sci D-E-V.net. Today's show was produced by Harrison Lewis with editing by Ogechi Ekanyuanu and reporting by Michael Kaloki. I'm Halima Athmani. Until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is produced by SIDEVNet and distributed in association with your local radio station.